0: Labs. This is State of Demand Gen. Hey everyone, welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. This is your host, Chris Walker, and today I am thrilled to welcome our very own, the Refine Labs VP of Demand, Judy Sheriff. Judy, great to have you on the show. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Chris. Glad to be here. I'm this doing is our, good. Excited to record my first ever podcast.
0: This is our first podcast true internal podcast. And so I think there'll be some interesting learnings here. Maybe the listeners, if you do enjoy it, let us know, because we'll be talking about some stuff that's a little bit more deep in the things that we're working on. So uh, a good plug for people to provide feedback at DGL at RefineLabs.com. Good or bad, we would love to hear it. Hopefully it's good for everyone's sake. So let's uh, let's, let's get into it. Um, so before we get into kind of like the main discussion, I just wanted to talk through maybe uh, a couple minutes about your background, what you, what you did, how you got to where you are. I think there's a lot of marketers that listen to, uh, listen to the show that are maybe earlier on in their career. And they're kind of like looking to see, understand different options about how they can grow in a marketing role. So we'd love a couple of minutes on that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I let's see, really started when I was still in school at, uh, UW here in Seattle, I was looking for some foray into the business world. What am I going to do with my life? And found an social media marketing internship when it was like before it was even monetizing. what
0: year was this?
1: This was 2010. Mm. So, um, like Twitter was just launching. They were not really, there was no paid on social yet. It was like how are businesses going to take social media and do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started there at a, um, B2C company selling, uh, e-commerce laptop cases and backpacks and cell phone cases. Super, super fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, industry, but joined and was like the the youngest person at the company and also the only person that was really knew anything about social media and therefore digital.
0: It's <laughs> crazy to think about in 2010, just 10 years ago, that a B2C company needed an intern because nobody understood social media.
1: let totally. <laughs> just think about like, that for a minute. They were like, you're young and you have a Facebook. So what should we do with our <laughs> Facebook? And it became like not only social, it was like, oh, great. She knows how websites work. She can change the printer cartridges. Mm. <laughs> she uh, can figure out like, we want to launch paid, paid ads, like what's going on with Google. So I sort of was dropped into the Google suite. I mean, it was just like Google search at the time. Um, AdRoll had just launched. It was like a beta user of AdRoll, one of their first First things we did there, like learned retargeting kind of as I was going, ended up managing the e-commerce website for the company for four years and um, was their online marketing specialist. So it was everything from email to SEO to paid search to anything going on on paid social. Um, And there was a kind of a B2B component of the business too, selling into schools and, Mm -hmm. and corporations. So I ended up getting some exposure to B2B there and really liked it. Met a consultant through that company who was hiring at uh, a new tech tech startup that had just rolled out here in Seattle, and was looking to bring someone in to manage online marketing. So I joined that startup um, pretty early on. They'd just gotten Series B funding.
0: Did they call it online marketing back then?
1: Online marketing manager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, that was my title. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because it, now no one is really called that, and it's all evolved digital or. Mm-hmm. Or growth or demand, but it was online marketing, and it was just me and a director of marketing like figuring out how are we going to really launch marketing for this product. So I became kind of a jack of all trades at this company, running emails, building out nurture. Saw a big gap; nobody was running with their marketing automation. There was a marketing automation, but no one was really owning it. So I just took it upon myself to like learn it. It was Pardot. It was terrible, (laughs) and uh became really focused on marketing ops while also doing demand. It was kind of a hybrid role of leading the demand sh- strategy while also admitting our marketing automation and running marketing ops for the company too. So really just grew there, spent six years at that software company and was the director of demand gen for a few years running the basically full funnel. So everything that was, um, not really sales sourced was coming in through my team. We covered events, digital, all of ops, website strategy, website optimization. So really anything that's going to come in inbound. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I spent, spent time there, got hit with the COVID layoffs. And then I uh, found you on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, And here we are. The
1: rest is history. Yeah. And
0: here we are. So um, you, 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 kind of like jumped into it a little bit. So let's just, let's just move into it. And so for people that are going in, the rest of the episode is going to be focused on how marketers need to look at the entire funnel. Right. And so uh, I still don't see this happening a lot. I, um, I don't see marketers looking inside of Salesforce. They just sit inside of Marketo or ad platforms. And the big risk there is you have no idea whether or not sales is actually whether or not the stuff that you're doing is driving contacts or actual business results. And so, um, it was a huge thing for me in 2017 when I started running marketing and the CEO only cared about how much pipeline and revenue was coming for the stuff that I was doing. Otherwise I wasn't going to get any more budget than the $500 test they gave me for Facebook. And by looking at the pipeline and revenue data and seeing how attractive it was. We were able to grow that budget to multi-million dollars over the next 12 months. And so as a marketer, if you are looking to help, uh, if you know that your stuff is working really well and you are looking to position that to an executive, you must understand the sales metrics, being able to connect that to the things that you're doing and how to present that to an executive team about that you have confidence in these types of levers and that they will be able to deliver more if you were able to inject more resources, budget, effort, you know, subject matter expertise, whatever. And so, um, let's just get it started. How do you uh, how do you think about that? Like when you go through it with a, a customer, what you did before, or like yeah, where do you start? Like what? How, where do you maybe? Let's back up a second. I talked about why it's in, why it's important, and so I guess break it down into some of the things that you look at.
1: Yeah, I like to if I'm coming in and looking at a funnel, like let's say new client, for example, analyzing a business for the first time, I like to start bottom of funnel to up kind of work backwards, because I think a lot of goals that companies have are typically revenue based. I see a marketing team given you need to contribute 50 percent to revenue or a certain percentage amount. And there is a set revenue goal provided by the sales team. But marketing doesn't always necessarily have the the plan or the model to how are they going to get to that, that revenue? So I like to look first at what's been happening from a closed one perspective, where are these deals coming from? How big are the deals? How often are they closing? How much, how much can we expect to see at the bottom of the funnel? And And you segment
0: those based on source. Like, um, so when you look at it, this will kind of like back up just to make sure people understand, like you need to look at, the sources of marketing, whether on con- ideally conversion point, not first touch attribution UTMs, and then look at how um, segment into just those deals and then look at the stuff that you're looking at. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to see a bunch of sales data.
1: Yeah. First segment between marketing and sales, and then even within marketing, looking at what are those primary conversion points. I mean, you and I both know there's higher intent conversions, mm-hmm. and so seeing how those are going to differ, but exactly. Uh, primary campaign source or whatever that conversion point is, ideally, is how we're going to going to segment the the opportunity mm-hmm. data. Mm-hmm. I think it can be helpful to to layer on the the channel data and see source sources comparison. But ultimately, you need that conversion point in there. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm going to so, essentially back up the funnel.
0: Where did the person convert before the the next action was an opportunity creation or a sales outreach? Was it a demo form? Was it them asking for a quote? Was it them filling out a free trial for your SaaS product? Was it um, an ebook download from LinkedIn? Was it a webinar registration? Was it content syndication that got pushed into your CRM from a third party vendor? what that is the conversion point and the conversion point matters deeply as a direct correlation with the downstream funnel metrics all the way to close one. And so that's just a little bit of a clarifying point. And then you're able to, you, you noted it, you're able to using your brain to be able to interpret whether that conversion point, well, I guess you could use your brain in comparison to the data that's sitting right in front of you and look, just look at the differences and be like, these people have more intent because their win rates are 70 times higher than the other ones. Yeah, And so um that's a uh that's a good little note for people now you were t- going to talk about working up so walk me through how yeah. that works
1: Yeah from analyzing the funnel looking at closed one then wanting to look at qualified pipeline you know, typically like a stage 2 or a stage 3 opportunity often when a someone's attributed revenue to that opportunity and really know how much value that potential client would have for them
0: yeah do you find
1: looking at that by source as well do you find
0: that the def like i find that the definition of qualified opportunity for a lot of companies is could use some work like
1: 100 i don't i don't think i've encountered any client where it's defined the exact same way and some people are pretty prescriptive it's like there's a set series of qualification that the sales team has to have covered. I mean, I know there's like the Bants and the
0: mm-hmm. But that's not qualified. Businesses. Like getting no. going through Bant with an SDR does not mean it's a qualified op for me. Qualified op for me is post eight first call AE and then everything forward with that where the A says this is a real opportunity. And so I think that people look at qualified opportunity too early. And when you see all of the data on LinkedIn, like we generated $10 million in pipeline, it's because it just got banned, qualified by an SDR. And then most of it went to close loss directly after it got to an AE, if they even showed for the meeting. And so I think that definition is deeply important for people to consider the later funnel that you can go the better. The later funnel where you have predictable um, win rates, I think that a lot of companies use stage two. Everyone's definition is different, but I typically look at stage three.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think even within once the AE's done that first discovery call, I've seen some, some people where there's some qualification they're doing in that a discovery call yeah. that can lead to it, but it doesn't feel very prescriptive. I think there's a certain amount of um, subjective decision that goes in on the salesperson's part on whether or not they think it's qualified. Mm-hmm. Kind of a check. Sure.
0: You know, and then we would yeah. keep working up
1: looking at qualified then looking at total ops, uh, total ops created and the same thing, wanting to see that that conversion point and by channel, by stores, where are they, where are they coming from? Um You know, then from there, I think I'm looking at sales qualified leads. That these are typically there's an SQL status before something's converted in the funnel. Um, I know people have all types of different names they like to use for statuses, Uh, and then going to analyze really what is that qualification standpoint. I think MQL is a debated uh, status, and I think Mm -hmm. it gets a lot of credit over. It gets more credit than it deserves as an mm-hmm. MQL. I think a lot of people mistake MQL qualification for intent when it's truly more of just a ICP fit, is how yeah. I think. Lead do it.
0: versus contact, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we'd we'll look at total lead volume and where that's coming from. But I like to to go bottom to top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then within that, you know, pulling it's, a lot of this is like a spreadsheet analysis. You're exporting the data. You're looking at that conversion rates between total volume. What is that conversion mm-hmm. rate from lead to MQL, MQL to sales qualified, qualified to convert, convert to qualified op, op to close. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then and then when you have
0: all that stuff, like what are, um, what are some of the things that you would normally find? And then what is the action that you would take once you found it? What
1: can what can be, just really interesting is seeing where people have historically focused on from a conversion optimization standpoint. And it typically, as you mentioned in marketing, people focus heavily on that lead to MQL. Like how many leads are we qualifying? And don't focus heavily on that SQL to convert. In my experience, past marketing, it's like cool sales mm-hmm. qualified it. It's often sales land now. Like they have to handle the sales funnel and converting through it. It's so I think like, that's yep. the biggest mistake I see is that people are not paying attention to those conversion metrics and how they're changing. They're not comparing those conversion metrics by source. You know, they're looking at leads they're bringing in from a lower intent channel, like like an ebook download, and treating them similarly to a high intent lead coming in from a free trial or a mm-hmm. demo request. And they don't pay attention to how those conversions differ through the funnel. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the easiest optimizations to make is figure out where there's the inefficiencies by source converting through the opportunity funnel and how can you either pivot your marketing tactics or change how you're investing your budget to reallocate those funds and that volume into your higher converting.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was just mentioned is the core root of why people would hear these leads suck.
1: Yeah. By totally. just
0: focusing on lead to MQL with a specific MQL target. Companies set this, this yeah. is not necessarily marketing's fault. marketing should be able to look at this and be like, we need to correct this. But a lot of, I understand why a lot of people don't do that inside of companies. So it's the company's fault for setting up their system like this. Um, But that's when you hear these leads suck, it's because marketing has to hit an MQL target in order to deliver a certain amount of leads. And that's the ultimate problem because the lead number is unrealistic because they're planning on such shitty conversion rates. And so they just build a contact acquisition with a made up MQL score. And then they move people through that way, which is a really easy way to get poor sales and marketing alignment.
1: I'll see a lot of times where people are measuring the success of MQLs by how many make it to a sales accepted or a working status, which can be... Um, really inaccurate because a lot of times you have an SDR team that's going to accept a, a, a lead if it looks like it's in ICP. So sure you're, you know, from your gated content, you're delivering a target account, contact in ICP, right job title, like right person sales is click. Cool. I'll accept mm-hmm. it. I'll work on it. Your conversion rate looks great because they're being worked by sales. Yes. But, but it's basically a cold by. call.
0: It's basically yeah. a cold call. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like you, you can run your MQL score and then you can pass it to sales and that, or sales could just go to pick out that account that they want to go after, and go into Zoom Info, and you would get the same exact conversion rates through the funnel with either of those attempts because they don't have any buying intent. And so, yes, I believe I do believe that to be misleading. We need to look like we try and center on SQL in the first couple of months, S Q O over the next couple of months, and then close one probably two x, maybe 3, two to three x of the total sales cycle length into the program. Cool. So, what uh, what's another thing that you see often?
1: From a overall funnel perspective. I
0: I mean, what we can get into, we work together now. And so we can get into the details. Like I talk about the one, like I've analyzed enough companies that are running third-party content syndication, which should not be confused with lead aggregators. I see them tagged as like lead aggregators, like software advice. Turn tagged as syndication. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is content syndication, a third party site gates your, your ebook and then passes you a lead. Then that company didn't even, that person that submitted the form didn't even know that they were going to become a lead of yours. And then you're going to think they're a lead and call them. Like when you start to look at some of those sources, it becomes very obvious that it's not productive. Right. And so perhaps outside of content syndication, are there other things that you've seen that might help help people? LinkedIn gated eBooks, like there's a lot of like, um,
1: I mean, on top of like gated, I would say the other component in terms of like a third party party gated content syndication is content syndication through like display or heavy impression based campaigns that are typically inefficient is kind mm -hmm. of the same type of lack of sales ready conversions Mm -hmm. coming through. And I think that that's, I just, I feel like if they're, if we have people that we're talking to that are looking for channels outside of kind of the core Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, they're looking for content syndication, like either against their target account list, getting specific mm-hmm. contacts sourced from that, or they're looking for a heavy kind of complicated display program, either through GDN or through a you know, the, the media posts of the world that you yeah, can buy yeah. display metrics there, and I think there's a lot of vanity metrics that those both of those channels provide in terms of guaranteeing cost per, you know, guaranteeing Mm -hmm. volume because on a certain spend or guaranteeing eyeballs and this level of brand visibility because of the eyeballs there and can be super hard to prove that through the funnel and actually have anything that comes from those. That's a high, high intent.
0: Yeah. And so demand marketers, if you, if you want alignment with your sales team, here's a really easy way to do it. Align with the exact metrics that they care about, which is qualified pipeline and revenue. And when you shift your mind around the actual KPI, one, you get more collaboration. Two, it changes the things that you do. Three, you start to actually look at that part of the funnel and you might find some interesting things. Like I, it's called like, so a lot of demand marketers won't think it's their job. It's like, Revenue operations, or I would call it more like revenue analytics, but I believe that it's a demand marketer's job to look at that. If your, if your demo to SQL or SAL ratio is not great, that's a flag for you to go and look and understand what it is qualitatively. Is it because the leads aren't are bad? Because there's some type of routing problem. Or what is what is the actual reason? Right. And so when you get centered on a goal that's later, you actually start to get involved in the things that matter to your sales team. Um, and so you might find some really interesting things. And you would look, okay, our demo to SQL rate is lower than I would expect, given that 90% of them that are filling out the demo form are in our ICP and would fit SAL criteria. So why aren't they going, oh well, um, we're actually, it's taking us 75 minutes to route them. And then we have a nine hour SLA. And so most of the leads are actually getting a call the next day of when they actually came in. And perhaps that long wait time is enough to crush your conversion rates from 90% direct in the ICP to only 25% making it to SQL. And so just some interesting stories there about like, um, when you look at the actual data, how it points you in the right direction, when you know what the metric that matters is, which is not like marketing metrics, they need to be revenue team metrics. I
1: mean, you and I both know how important this is, but I feel like we constantly encounter situations where marketing teams are not doing this. Marketing is, is not really focused on revenue ops. What do you mm-hmm. think the reason for that is?
0: Um, I would say there's two core or maybe three core reasons. One, their goals aren't don't incentivize them to look, right? Like if you were scored on MQLs, you would have absolutely no reason to look. Um, the second one would just be purely that they don't know that they should. right? And so no excuses anymore for anyone listening to this that you don't know that you should. You just we're getting, telling you right now. Um, and then the third one might be, oh, it's somebody else's job.
1: Yeah, that's why I was I think that there's a lot of siloed work being done between rev ops, marketing ops and the actual demand marketers. And I think when I've seen it work, the best is when operations and demand are actually on the same team or rolling up to the same same lead. And there's a lot of synchronicity between the two so that the demand marketers are measuring these metrics and they're working really closely with anybody who's actually doing the platform implementations or the analytics builds.
0: Yeah. And for everyone listening, this stuff is not complicated. Like, it's really not that difficult to go in there and look and see what's happening. And the insights are glaringly obvious when you look at it the right way. And so I would encourage you to give it a shot.
1: What do you think um, are the biggest mistakes that you see people making in terms of measurement? Like when we're measuring the funnel, if they're looking at all of this, like they're doing the analysis, what mistakes do you see people encountering? I feel like
0: um the number one mistake that i see people encounter and this is across the board all the way from like demand marketers rev ops sales ops and executives the entire thing is thinking that your sqo win rates are consistent regardless of where they came from which is wrong the data is in there every time i pull it out i look at it different uh, different marketing sources will have dramatically Different conversion um, metrics through the funnel at SQO and outbound will be different than inbound. There's some where outbound, the data shows that the outbound win rates are significantly higher. And I've actually, I rarely see that. And so when you see it and it logically makes no sense, then you start to wonder. And if you start to wonder, you go in and you start to see, oh, like sales is really cherry picking these and waiting till it's a real, real, real deal before they move it to stage three. And that's why they win them at 35%. And so there's...
1: If I was going to pick one specific thing that I see most commonly, it's, it's that cherry picking the ops so that you're going to have a high win rate mm-hmm. Talking about the metrics. Yeah.
0: Yep. So that, that one's interesting. Um, another one that I think I have, I don't talk about a lot, but we, I've seen it since I've been doing this is that, um, your sales cycle lengths will be dramatically different based on different lead sources and based on your overall marketing model. And so we, at a, at a company in 2017, we had our overall sales cycle was 212 days. And this is to sell it was a big expansion play long-term, but we were selling like 25 to 75 K deals. And then you could, and then you would have a, you know, F- 3, 4, 10 X type of revenue expansion opportunity once you're in. And so 212, and then we started running the marketing engine and we blended that down to like 117 days, almost cut it directly in half. Now we're working with a customer right now. They've been with us for 12 months. And so we have a clear data on before and after looking trailing 12 months before and trailing 12 months after about changing their marketing model. And their average sales cycle length marketing source before we started was 140 days. And I just, Looked at it last week and it's now 71 days, which is almost exactly 50% completed. There's 50, 50% reduction. The reason that it is, is because when buyers enter it to you, they're further on the way done. Yeah. So as opposed to trying to capture someone at the top of the funnel and then pretend to nurture them through and then basically have to do outbound sales by marketing to them and then getting them to a place where they're like, Hey, I would like to buy this. I've already talked to my coworkers. I know what the price is. We have the budget, the CFO is on board. We know this is an organizational problem. It's on the strategic roadmap. I'd like to buy this now. That's the
1: difference. <laughs> and we see that I would say across the board with the, the companies that we're working with, like mm-hmm. once you're start really focusing on those high intent conversions and just delivering all of your efforts to increase that number we see not only that sales Mm -hmm. cycle shortening, but like win rates increasing the overall user experience being a better flow. And I would imagine the sales experience being better as well. Like how much less time are they spent having to like hunt down these people and try to get a response because they're coming in more prepared.
0: The challenge is that like, it literally takes a year for this stuff to show in 90 day sales cycles, like to show a meaningful impact. And a lot of companies won't, won't actually look at it in that, won't do it long enough to actually see these types of effects. Um, but yeah, just like, think about it for you, think about it for yourself. Um, one of the things that I did, um, which I think is one of the, one of the smartest things that I did was I spent a lot of time with salespeople, but I also spent a lot of time doing salespeople's jobs, not necessarily trying to close their, you know, tier one account. You know what I mean? Like not that type of stuff, but, um, like, we had a very small SDR team. And so I would call leads before I passed them to the sales reps to make sure that the sales rep didn't come back to me and say, this person completely sucked. And that's how I got to...
1: Sorry, I have to interrupt. What was your... That like totally stresses me out to be an SDR. That's just like my personality. I don't feel like I would be cut out for an SDR, but what was your...
0: It's okay. an insight. It's a one, yeah. the only reason that I have an empathy for sales when you give them an ebook download versus a, uh, a demo request is that I did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I felt the differences, which is why I don't do ebook downloads anymore because I know that our sales team hated them. And so that's, uh, like I, having the empathy for sales and when you pass them a difference, like they know when they talk to someone, whether it came from a demo or a webinar, no show, they know. Those are, that's a, I think it's an interesting tip. Maybe it's why I look at it this, this way. I've been looking at it like this way for probably four or five years now. And it's probably because I spent so much time with the sales team. The challenge with a lot of marketers that spend time with their sales team is they start to put on their sales hat. You need to start to understand the sales team, but always have your marketing hat on. Cool. Uh, so this has been great. Any, any final thoughts? Just like we talked pipeline analysis for the people that are people that are listening, hope it was useful. We pulled out a couple of different insights. We actually walked through like basically our exact process of what customers pay us a lot of money to do. And so perhaps you could just go and do that yourself. Um, but yeah, any, any final thoughts,
1: final thoughts would would be if you're not paying attention to your funnel right now, think, think about why get to the root cause. I mean, I imagine it's mm. probably what you're, what you're gold on, but there's a way you can change your goals or change the way that leadership is perceiving how marketing is influencing your goals to what really matters, like revenue. I think your job will be easier. Your, your boss's job will be easier. Your leadership team will be happier. Your board will like the numbers more. Mm -hmm. I think this is just one of the most crucial pieces you could do as a demand marketer is pay attention to that funnel.
0: Yeah. Think about why. And then like, it shouldn't be that hard for you to, if you use, Any, if you use HubSpot, it should be easy. You don't even need a Salesforce license, but it shouldn't be hard for you to get a temporary Salesforce license, read only and start to look at this stuff and just say, hey, I want to learn. And you could go and do this on your own and pull the exact same stuff because to be a successful marketer in the future, if you are not doing these things, you are going to lose. There will always be a a company that wants somebody that's going to collect MQLs. The problem is that you're going to be at a shitty company doing a shitty job.
1: If there's so. anything that I would feel grateful I did in the past at my last company and shout out to Megan, if she's listening, but befriend your Salesforce admin and just learn from them. I feel like becoming best friends with my, for Salesforce admin. I would do that
0: too. And
1: you get like kind of that inside, like, okay, sure. I'll give you permission to do that. Like, yeah, we can roll this out for you first. You can get lightning access mm-hmm. early. Like there's just a lot of benefits to making friends with your Salesforce. Mm-hmm.
0: Admin. <laughs> cool. Well, on that big action item for people, go and go Salesforce admin, go and make that happen. Cool, Judy. Cool. First podcast complete. Thanks um, for
1: having me. It's been,
0: a, it's been a pleasure. Hope everyone enjoyed it, and we will see you soon.